0: Hey there, thanks for joining us. This podcast is put out into the world by Living Water Community Church located in Ypsilanti, Michigan. I'm Pastor Clark Cawthorn. If you'd like to know more about Living Water or if you'd like to drop us a note or if you've got a question or if you'd like to have us pray for you, head on over to lw-cc.org. Now let's join today's podcast in progress. I'd like to follow along in one of the texts that I will be looking at today. You can look at the Gospel of Mark chapter 11. So, Palm Sunday. stunt double actor or king. The reason I kind of stumbled across this is that I was starting to read something about a guy whose name was Stuart Wilson, and he has quite a resume. Now, most of us have probably never heard nor would we recognize the name Stuart Wilson. But I'm going to show you a picture in a minute, and you're definitely going to recognize what he does for a living. He's the guy that would fall down an elevator shaft or jump in front of a moving train or dive off a building or off of a bridge into some icy cold water so that he can get 20 seconds of fame on film so that the actor that he's standing in for gets all the glory. The stunt double takes the pain so the actor gets all the glory. Here's that guy and you can see who he stands in for, Bruce Willis. He's done a number of films for Bruce. He says he's even gotten some of the mannerisms down, and I watched one little clip of him, and he's got that little half smile that goes up in exactly the same fashion, so that even if he's running at 20 miles an hour in front of the camera, he's going to look pretty much like Bruce Willis. But here's the thing. Some people can read the last few chapters of the four Gospels in the New Testament, and if we're not careful, we can sort of come away with the wrong impression of Jesus Christ. Some people might think, oh, well, he's just sort of God the, Holy, or, God the Father's stunt double. He fills in for God so that he can take the pain, but God gets all the glory. Because you read a lot about God receiving the glory, and he's jealous for his glory, and that sort of thing. But when we think of him that way, if we separate him into the human form of God, we tend to almost make him below God somehow, And there are certain denominations that tend to do that. They actually say, no, he's totally the human part, and they kind of leave the deity completely out. We have to be cautious about that. But there's another mistake that people can make in how we think about Jesus. Not only do we know that Jesus is God, there's God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. They're all God, the three in one. But some people can think that he is this great action hero actor like Bruce Willis, who's going to come in, and he's going to come in and clean house someday, and he's wielding a great sword, riding on the battle stallion, and that was what people were looking forward to, many of them, even back when they were probably gathering around, putting palm fronds on the path, and saying, Hosanna, meaning save now, come save us. That was an incorrect perception of what Messiah had been predicted would be like. If you really start looking back, especially at the servant songs in Isaiah, you can see that it was predicted a long time before Jesus arrived, that he was not going to be that kind of action hero actor. He was not an actor at all. In fact, that's one danger about trying to say that Jesus was merely a human who thought he was God, and so he was acting like Messiah. There are a lot of people today who would probably say that, and they would be, in my opinion, woefully wrong. Because Jesus proved through all of his actions, and especially through his death, burial, and resurrection, that he had fulfilled all the prophecies, and he is indeed God. So the whole background for what we're going to be talking about today is the background of Passover. That's why I thought it was so great that we had communion on this particular day. That's what leads up to everything that's happening during this Passion Week. The Israelites were looking back at a time when they had been in bondage in Egypt, and then, of course, God had sent the great deliverer, Moses. who was sort of a, a foreshadowing of our other great deliverer, Jesus Christ. So Moses, in a sense, was a Christ type. But Moses, that wonderful guy, took him all the way across the desert, and it was just a walk in the park. Not at all. It was a difficult 40-year journey filled with all kinds of difficulties. And so they had to trust God for their protection and their provision all the way through that time together. So that's what Passover looks back at, but it also looks ahead in history, kind of like what we do at the Lord's Supper. We're looking back in history, but we're also looking forward to a time when there's a more permanent deliverer who will come once and for all time and set things right. So that's the background for this Holy Week. Then we have two major sections that I'm going to look at today. One is this concept of a colt versus a war horse. And that's where I want to dive in right into Mark's Gospel here. And I'll just read the first seven verses for you. And I'm reading out of the NIV. This is Mark 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying, go to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it. And bring it here. If anyone asks you, uh, why are you doing this? Tell them, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. They went ahead and found a colt outside in the street tied at a doorway. And as they untied it, sure enough, some people standing there asked, "Uh, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, He sat on it. Now, we've heard the story, some of us, dozens of times, but we need to revisit a couple of these facts because they're important. The context for this is in Zechariah 9, 9, and 10, prophesied way before the events actually happened. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious. Now, when you just read that much, if that's all that you could see in Zechariah's prophecy... What picture comes to your mind right there? Your king coming to you, righteous and victorious. Man, I see this guy, trumpets blaring, horses galloping, uh, flashing swords in the sunlight. And then look at the next verse. Lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Isn't that an interesting juxtaposition? Not exactly what we might be expecting. And yet we can see that Jesus is always fulfilling the prophecy exactly as it was foretold to him in the Old Testament. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim what? Peace to the nations. He's coming in peace. He's riding on a beast of burden to proclaim peace. Now, does this look familiar to you? Peace upon whom his favor rests. It ought to seem familiar if we've grown up celebrating Christmas because it comes from this one. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God, if you've been to the Messiah. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. This was something that happened even at the birth of Jesus Christ. So we see that all these prophecies are coming true in Christ It was prophesied how Jesus would come, even so specifically that it was going to be on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, a couple of you, if you're skeptics and you read the other Gospels, will say, wait a minute, there's another Gospel that mentions that there was a donkey, and then there was this other foal, but Mark's only mentions the foal or the colt. No sweat, he's just focusing on that because he's focusing on the prophecy there. There was probably a mama donkey, because if this one had never been ridden on, you need the mama to come along too, otherwise that colt is not going to know what to do. So they probably had both there, but he rode on the donkey, on the, the younger donkey, the colt. So, how do you share your faith? Are you an action hero or a suffering servant? This is why I mentioned that about the third type of person who might be looking for ammo so that you can mow down your opponents and prove that you are right about Jesus and his identity. Jesus himself didn't do that. There were so many opportunities for Jesus to do something that would have been amazing to prove that he was who he says he was. And yet he continued to be that peaceful, suffering servant to come and show the compassion that God had so that people would be drawn to his love, not just simply to his power. Outraged at outrage. I read a great article in Christianity Today just two weeks ago about this culture that has developed around being outraged at outrage. And one of the things that I see contributing to that is our social media, which is so pervasive these days, because I think it's so easy for us to hide behind our screen, whatever it is, our tablet, our laptop, our telephone, and we can just arrange all these great explosive words, and they're like verbal hand grenades. And we, or- we organize them, we light the fuse, we hit enter, and we lob these verbal hand grenades across into somebody else's device, where they explode all over social media, and people become outraged at that, so they hop on the bandwagon, and if they haven't read the thread, they may not even know what they're talking about. But they join the conversation. Six comments in, and now they're outraged, and so they start lobbing verbal hand grenades back at people, and there's just... (coughs) (coughs) We're exploding all over each other. For what? We're just being outraged. The author of that article says, that's what happens when we don't have anybody to absolve people of guilt, to offer redemption, to offer forgiveness somewhere along the way. We're always just pointing out other people's sins, but there's no forgiveness. I I have read so many of those things on Facebook that I'm so tempted to completely just have a Facebook fast. And some days I do. I leave my phone plugged in upstairs so I can go down and study and not be distracted by all the ding. Oh, another explosion. A couple of very practical things in mind. First of all, I think we need to know our audience just as Jesus knew his audience. He was careful not to cast his pearls before swine. There were some times when he would know, I have to walk away from this discussion because nothing fruitful is going to take place here. And he would walk out, sometimes unscathed, even though they wanted his hide. Other times, he would... Share a story and pique people's interests and then those who are truly interested would remain behind and ask him, uh, Rabbi, teacher, what did you mean by that? Well, you see, the good soil is the people whose hearts are open to the word of God and he would explain that to the people who are in the inner circle. Jesus, the master teacher, knew his audiences and he knew when not to just lob a hand grenade right out there and explode everything all the time. We need to be discerning about what we put out to the whole world. There's very little now that our family members will share openly in public with everybody. If it's truly really funny and liable to not be too obnoxious, I'll throw something out there to give somebody a chuckle. But we were having lunch just last week with some dear friends, and uh, the statement, I think Joy said, oh, this wouldn't be offensive to anybody. And somebody said, oh, it could be. <laughs> said you can, I can't remember which one of you two said it, but I loved it. said, have a nice day. Don't tell me what to do. I thought, yeah, isn't that the way it is? I mean, people can get right out there and get so offended at the thing that you think is going to be so innocuous. So here's a recommendation to all of us. Can we just stop for a minute and think about five seconds before we throw stuff way out into the public arena because it's like going to the bathroom stall at a public restroom and writing your treatise on the wall. Who's going to read that, that it's really going to change their heart? I doubt that too many people have been changed in their hearts in some major ordeal, in some major issue because of these explosions that are going on on social media. So we really limit, we just really pulled in very tightly which things we share with which groups of people. I've got our church closed group page. I'll share things that are edifying. Maybe I'll share a link to another great article that I think would stir our imaginations and get our hearts set in the right place. So that's a great forum for us to be edifying one another, sharing prayer requests, all that good stuff. I love that. But when it comes to just a public forum, I'm very, very limited anymore in doing that because I'm trying to be like Jesus and love people enough that they see my life and they're piqued in their interest and want to ask me about what's so different about me. Then it's like 1 Peter 3.15. When they do ask, I'll have an answer, and when I give it, it will be with gentleness and respect. Because I come to bring peace, not to just lob verbal hand grenades. Now, the second major portion. Save now versus he saved. We were singing a lot of those today. A lot of Hosannas. Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! That word literally translates to save now. And when I say versus he saves or he has saved, that's what we get to do this side of our salvation. Now that we're looking back at what Jesus did because of the work which he finished on the cross when he said, thy, it is finished. When he did that, he finished the work on the cross so that we could be saved. So now those of us who are believers can say, Hosanna, he does save, and I am saved. This is actually taken last year, almost exactly a year ago when Joy and I were there, thanks to you guys. This is coming down the Palm Sunday Trail, looking across the hill. You can see the Dome on the Rock, very just to the left there in the center of the picture, This is on the Mount of Olives, and we're heading down to the Garden of Gethsemane, and we all walked down this procession. It's just an amazing thing for those of us who grew up as Gentiles. So in looking at that, looking at Psalm 118, the context for what's going on here is pretty astounding. It's really neat because way down toward the end of that Psalm, I'm thinking maybe about verse 17 or so if I'm picturing it in my brain, there's something about bringing your leafy palms or, or your greenery, and heading into this procession. This psalm was actually written so that people could commemorate big events that took place at this time of the year that would usually be commemorated toward the end of the summer harvest, so it would be either uh, mid-September to early or mid-October, depending on where it falls in the calendar. And so they would not only be celebrating the goodness of God and His provision, just as He did while they were in Egypt and then on the wilderness journey, but it was looking ahead to how He's going to provide in the future. And it was looking ahead to something that was going to be so much more permanent than they had established before. I wish that I had had a little more activity time this week. Because I would have loved to have erected a little temporary booth up here on the platform. Almost like one that uh, you guys stood under at your wedding. It's really sweet to do that. Uh, when we think about the different palm fronds that are there a very arid climate, a lot of palm trees, a lot of olive trees, really accessible. All you have to do is just have a little knife, walk up to any tree nearby, a lot of them are low to the ground, whack, 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 you've got palms. So they would have these little poles that they would erect and they put these little things like an arbor so that you could look up through the cracks and see the sky and yet it would create shade and there's even symbolism in that. But I wanted to erect one of those right up here so you could see that and picture living in that during this whole feast. They would have a Sabbath on one end, Sabbath on the other, and the activity in the middle. And the very culmination of this wonderful celebration was a big deal because it happened at two different times when they would say, Lord, save us, Hosanna, grant us success, coming right out of that Psalm 118. To give you an idea of what kind of urgency was there, I'm going to use a true story from James Dobson's son. He was a little guy, probably two years old. His name was Ryan. James Dobson shared this years ago. He said he was at the kitchen window looking out over his driveway and he had a pickup truck right out in the driveway. And the kid would get up on the bumper and climb over into the back of that. And he says, all of a sudden, I recognize that he was not climbing back over the tailgate to get back down the way he came up. So he couldn't have the bumper to step on. He was at the side of the pickup, just hanging over the fender. And he's a little bitty guy. So he's hanging on to the edge of the pickup. And his feet are just kind of dangling like that. And he was saying something. James said, my son was saying something. I could see his mouth moving, but the window was closed, so I couldn't hear it. And so I ran around to the side and opened the door to hear what he was saying. He said, my son was saying, somebody help the boy. (laughs) It's like, help him now. And so he ran around and lifted him off the pickup and helped him and got him down safely. But that's kind of what Hosanna means. It's like, somebody help us. And I mean now. It was an urgent plea. And that's what they would be singing on their way into the temple. Save us, Lord, save now. And then that other verse from Psalm 118, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we will bless you. What we see is that everything that was building up through these great festivals points to Messiah. There was the first temple, Solomon's temple. Guess when it was uh, commemorated when they actually had the, the sanctuary dedicated? It was during the festival of booths. And then when that one was destroyed and then somebody else came back and they started gathering back together after being in exile once and then Ezra stood and read the word of the Lord and that created such a great revival there I would say we're starting the rebuilding again guess when that happened during the festival of the booths. And then there was one other big event that happened during the same time and that was the libations offering and this relates to Jesus Christ because on the very last culminating big day this other sabbath on the opposite end the tail end of this wonderful 8-day celebration they would pour water and wine onto the altar, the water signifying the richness that God had given them because of the rains. And they would, that's part of the wave offering, they would be praying for rain so that God would give them nourishment from the ground. And then, of course, the wine representing his spirit to be poured out in people as well. So they give us spiritual nourishment. These libation offerings were important, and Jesus knew that. And one of the times when he stood up on the Temple Mount, he stood right there and said, Let anyone who is thirsty. Come to me and drink. Aha, a libation offering. Who was going to be poured out? Whoever believes in me, he says. As scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And then just to make sure that John knew what he was talking about when he said that, he explains it. By this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Can you see the tie-ins? I love to see these threads, and I love to see how God in His infinite wisdom and mercy established all these feasts and festivals in the Jewish history to point to the fulfillment, all of which came in the form of Jesus Christ. When did that happen? On the last and greatest day of the festival. I just love to see all these threads coming together. Which festival? The Festival of Booths. Now, what happens is that on the final day there's this libation's offerings, We're starting to see the Palm Sunday being connected with the crowds at Passover and the Festival of Booths. They're six months apart. The Festival of Booths takes place in September or October, and yet you look at spring on Palm Sunday. But what's happening is that everything that they predicted that was temporary, looking for more permanence, Jesus is coming in to say, I am going to make this permanent. That's when we start to see the fulfillment. There's wonderful bookends. What was temporary is becoming permanent. There was the tabernacle versus the temple. And Jesus had even predicted a crazy prediction, which is why people were so upset when he said, in three days this temple is going to get torn down, not one stone will be left upon another. Well, of course, he wasn't referring to that physical building, but they didn't know that, and they took offense at that. And then we see also the sacrifices All these sacrifices, and it would have been a really noisy and bloody place around Passover time, and they had to do that all the time. Ritual sacrifices again and again and again. And finally, though, Jesus comes along and he says, but this is one and done. I'm the final sacrifice. Because of my sacrifice, because I'm completely holy, I can take care of it once and for all time. And because I'm for eternity, I am eternal, this is going to take care of it forever. Now, Let me read you this as we start to wrap up here. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. If we're ever wondering how we need to come across to other people so that they can see Christ in us, it's given to us by the Apostle Paul, written to the people in Philippi right here. He makes it very clear. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the sound of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord for the glory of God the Father. As we start to incorporate his character in our lives, we become something that represents him to other people, and they can see Christ in us. Let me wrap up with this little illustration, which I found interesting. Joy was looking for something about RH factor in blood, and so where do we look for answers? Well, YouTube, of course. And as she did so, a familiar name came up. It was uh, Dr. Steve Pipe. And she goes, oh my gosh, there's a thing on YouTube with Dr. Steve Pipe in it. It's a roundtable discussion about these different things related to blood disorders because that's his specialty. So of course, we sat there for two hours and watched something that we we didn't know anything they were talking about, but it was Steve Pipe. We know him. He plays piano all the time and, and it was fun to watch that. But he said something that was kind of neat and it was a great analogy. He said they're doing something that's so revolutionary that in just a few years we're going to have this so that uh, somebody, for example, who has hemophilia and they have to take all these prophylaxis, lots of medications to keep them from bleeding and having major bleeds often, especially in their joints, that they can go in, have a two-hour infusion, and they'll walk away, and it's a one-and-done treatment. That's all that they'll have to do for the rest of their lives. He said that's how close we are coming to some of this stuff. And I thought, this is mind-blowing, because that's exactly what Christ became for us. They had all these ritual sacrifices, and they were constantly having to bleed these animals so they could do that. And then all of a sudden, Christ says, okay, this is it, once and for all time, one and done. If you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you you don't have to do any of these other things to earn God's favor. God has given you his favor freely through grace. It's all about grace. And we see it because of Jesus Christ. I thought, what a great analogy. Isn't that neat? And then he also said something that was kind of neat about the personal cure. He said, some people will ask, oh, is this something that will be universal? Can any of us with a major disease go in and they'll have the same kind of thing? He said, no, no. It has to be very personal. And only that person who has a a specific match and allows us to give this infusion, then it'll work for them. But there will still be carriers of the disease. Moms will still have babies and if they're a baby boy she can still pass along that gene to that boy and then that boy will need to have a personal cure as well and I thought man that's so biblical because there's not just some uh, wonderful thing that God throws out and says I've just now saved everybody he says no I've died for everybody but everybody has to have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ every single person needs Amen. to accept Jesus Christ's grace personally for each person So I thought, thanks, Steve Pipe, for preaching an illustration to me from a conference that we watched on YouTube. God works in mysterious ways. And then let me read this one as we wrap up. Revelation 7.10, looking ahead. And they cried out in a loud voice, who's the they? All these people gathered around him, this great cloud of witnesses. We've got angels worshiping. We've got the people who have been waiting for all of eternity to finally come to fruition. This is like the end chapter in God's great book. And they're crying out in a loud voice, and they're saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It was not a Bruce Willis-style action hero, but a suffering servant. And Jesus was not just a fill-in for God to take the pain so he could get the glory. Jesus gets the glory too because God exalted him above every name. Aren't we glad? Let's pray together. Father, you astound me at the way you continually reveal yourself and the way you've revealed yourself in Scripture just boggles my mind. I realize how infinitesimal my brain is because I can't absorb it all. And even the little bits that I start to absorb It just astounds me. And I'm so grateful for all the pictures, including these wonderful pictures of the festivals that you've given to uh, the Jewish people that we're grafted into thanks to Jesus Christ. And I'm so grateful for Israel and their example to us. And for the fact that you're so gracious that even though they departed from you numerous times, you kept drawing them back to yourself, you always found a way. And I'm grateful for those of us who may have wandered away that you're always there pulling us tight close to yourself so you can embrace us with your love and your mercy and your grace and it's that love that draws people to to you I pray that we as believers in Christ will show that kind of love to others so that rather than trying to win an argument we'll just be the suffering servant following Jesus' example laying our lives out for other people so they can see how much we care about them so they too can find salvation and that cure for the deadly disease of sin that's one and done through Jesus Christ